0: And he walked. We were get together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Continuing in verse 24, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Lord, this is, a, this is a big bite of scripture, Lord, and, uh, and there is some powerful stuff that we need to hear, Lord, and I am not worthy to bring that stuff, but Lord, uh, we have prayed and I have read and we have studied, and, and I just want you to speak, Lord, even if, even if what's on the pages in front of me, even if you ignore it and speak, Lord, I want you to speak to your children about your word so that they can be ready uh, for the coming days in the world, Lord. We don't know how long we have, but we know that we have a mission. We have a commission. We have things that we are supposed to do. And just as these disciples that night were learning from you, Lord, we want to learn from you and your word, which is you. Lord, It's so powerful. Please, Lord, please remove me from in front of these people and speak through your word. I ask this humbly in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Jumped right into Scripture. We're going to start right into some of the points this morning. Uh, point one. Hey, look at there. Man, didn't mean to do that, but good job up there. Uh, point one. The worst day ever. The worst day ever. What's the worst day you ever remember? What's the worst event you ever remember? What's the worst time period? Something you've gone through? You know, we're, we're living in the flesh. It's hard here on earth. It's not made for us. Some of you, some of you I know have been through things that I could never imagine. I mean, I, I think most of us have been touched with the loss of a loved one, and we remember that day. Uh, we'll never forget it. Uh, many of you um, have had the doctor say some really bad things. Um, many of you, or not many of you, but some of you I'm sure, have probably broken man's laws suffered consequences. I'm probably in the presence of people who have battled addictions. I'm probably in the presence of people who have lost jobs, who have lost everything. And today we're going to begin by looking at 10 men who were in the midst of probably the worst three days anybody could ever have. And we're at the end of this Easter story and it's the night of the resurrection and we look back at verse 19 It says, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. I'm going to tell you what, there's, there's a whole lot of stuff in those few little words. You've got to remember this study in John. You've got to remember what you know. You've got to know that for three years, these ten men in this room have followed this person called Jesus. Now look, we've been in John, I didn't realize that until Dale said it, like two years. We've been studying verse by verse through John for two years. Uh, we have seen tons of stuff that these men were witnesses of, uh, miracles and teachings. You've got to always remember, these ten men, they pretty much gave up their lives to follow Jesus. They gave up their careers and their jobs. They left. Some of them left their families. And three nights ago, Three nights ago, Jesus was arrested by a mob in the garden while he was praying. And after that arrest, some trials began. We've been through them in the last couple of weeks, okay? Uh, If you really want to call them trials, I got to preach on one of them. They really weren't trials. Uh, He was brought before Jewish leaders once or twice. He was brought before Roman leaders. Uh, I think I got to cover the part where he was brought before Pilate. You can look in Luke, and he was also brought before Herod. Uh, During this nightmare, he was falsely accused, he was mocked, he was spit on, he was beaten, he was shuffled across from one trial to another. And these men in this room knew that. They witnessed it from a distance, some closer than others. They knew what happened to Jesus. Some of them probably witnessed when Jesus was scourged was a torturous punishment, so cruel that many people died during the the punishment. It was a beating that was so severe and used an instrument so bad that flesh was literally torn from the victim. And after Jesus survived that, then he was crucified. It was a a Roman death penalty reserved for only the vilest. The Romans wanted to send a message to the people in the empire. You know what the message was? Don't mess with the empire. Don't mess with the empire. These men knew all that. They saw it and witnessed it. They knew that he was put into a barred tomb. And he also knew. they also knew that the religious leaders and the Roman leaders were so upset about all this that they had the tomb sealed and they posted guards. And then early this morning, the Easter story, some women came to the disciples with this strange tale about the tomb being empty, the rock being gone, the guards being gone. You know? Two of them ran and saw the empty tomb. If you read some of the other gospels, two of them were heading out of town. Met with a stranger on the road. Got to talking to him. Realized that they were in the presence of the Lord. Came back to town. And now these ten are huddled in a room together. Do you notice there where it says, with the doors locked? Do you understand that? Do you understand that? Do you understand Why? You understand why this was the worst time in these men's lives? The largest hunt in the history of mankind was underway. The Jewish religious leaders and the Roman government officials were leaving no stone unturned to find that body. Look, people, when he, when he died, the veil in the temple, the Jewish leaders knew this was torn in two. The Roman people and the people of Jerusalem knew that darkness fell over the earth in the middle of daytime and the earth shook. And now the stone's gone and the body's gone. If we don't find this body, this resurrection stuff is going to run all over us. What do you think those ten men were thinking? You understand now why the room was locked. Even though a couple of them had seen him on the road, maybe one had seen him at the tomb. They were hearing these wild stories from women, but you know they didn't trust the testimony of women in those days, right? I tell you, I tell you what was probably going through their mind: We're next. Every place in Jerusalem is being searched for that body, and everybody is saying we stole it. We're next. Maybe we're going to get scourged. Maybe we're going to be crucified. Maybe we're going to be tortured. Maybe they're going to demand that we admit that we stole the body as the Jewish the Jewish religious people were making paying off the guards to say. Really and truly their lives may have seemed like it was over. It probably seemed like they were never going to freely walk around and go about their business again. And the reason they would never be allowed to do that is because they'd been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. But you know what? The key to getting out of this evening where they're together with doors locked in fear and terror, the key to that was they'd been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. Jesus brings a lot of things. But the thing they needed most was Jesus brings peace. Look at these verses. Look at these verses. It says that in the midst of this terror, in the midst of this being locked in the room, in the midst of not knowing what's going to happen, the Bible tells us that Jesus came and he stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his side. And it says in the Bible that the that the disciples were overjoyed. Boy, do you think that's an understatement? Overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Probably the worst three days ever in the lives of these ten men who had no idea what they were supposed to do terrified and confused with absolutely no answers about what was going to happen to their lives. And then guess what, people? The answer appeared in their midst. Just Peace Peace be with you, or peace to you. That was a standard Jewish greeting. Do you notice that in the Scripture, it was pointed out to me when I was doing a lot of reading, you notice in the Scripture that, that he said it twice? Remember, Remember that night in the upper room way back in chapter 14 when he told them, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world does. Let not your hearts be troubled. And now all of a sudden in the midst of this terror, he's standing amongst them. Would peace be with you? J. Vernon McGee, I was reading his commentary, he pointed out, he said, Have you ever noticed, and, and, and he's right, I looked through some other parts of the Bible, Have you ever noticed that when the supernatural touches The natural, it's always one of two messages, and it's always a calming message. It's either peace or fear not because we're not really prepared for the supernatural to be in our midst. I mean, you go from terror, locked in a room, thinking your life is over, to this God standing in front. I mean, what's your reaction? easy to understand the peace. The peace because... Because at that point, the deity, the lordship of Jesus Christ was touching the humanity of the apostles. It was a terrified bunch of guys hiding in a room who suddenly found themselves in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was different now. He was different now. He wasn't subject to to material laws of the universe he appeared in a locked room. I, I, did, I, I always do a lot of reading. I probably read too much. I always do a lot of reading, but I, but I try to pray and I try to figure out. I usually find a message for me. I hope it's for you. Well, I was reading a sermon. Guess who? Spurgeon. Yeah. I was reading the sermon. Well, let me just. I mean, I hate to steal people's stuff. I'm giving him credit. I mean, you know. Let me just give you just a couple of his points when he preached on it. If I could come up with this, I would. But this is just a few of Spurgeon's points. He, he's talking about Jesus, he came gladly. And he came soon and he came often. The, The Bible reports three or four times in that one day. And he came to people who were quite unworthy of the privilege of him coming. He came, in this case, to people who met together quietly, secluded from the world and the cares of the world. It's a good thing for sometimes the saints to be shut in and the world shut out. Would you expect Jesus to show himself to you if your heart is at home or if your heart is at work or if your heart is somewhere in the world seeking vanity? Some will say he will not come here. For there are too many barriers, and we are not in a condition to receive him. But were there not barriers and difficulties that night? The doors were shut. The disciples in mortal fear. Whatever doors there may be between my Lord and my soul, he could pass through them or open them to get to my heart. You have a fear upon you which you cannot shake off. So so did the disciples. If it had not been true, they would not have had closed and locked doors. But Jesus comes through all of the sins that encompass and all of the doubts, and all the fears, and all the cares. And he comes and he speaks this word, Peace be unto you. And when he comes, that night he left certain permanent gifts which were realized by his spiritual presence. And this was the three things that Spurgeon said. He left the realization of his person. Who he was. He left a commission. And he left the Holy Ghost when he breathed on him. Realize that it still applies to you, right? The church. His chosen. His believers. Have a commission to proclaim the gospel. This is not a place for the lost. This is a place for us to learn and grow and gather. It's wonderful when lost are here because they hear the word of God preached. Our work is out there. And we seem to be afraid of it. We seem to be afraid of it. Those who will accept the gift, those who will accept the message that the church takes will be forgiven. That's what it means when it says their sins will be forgiven. Those who reject the message that the church takes will retain their guilt. It's simple. It's simple. He gave gave those men that night a commission. Go out into the world and speak the truth. And that truth is all that will bring peace to people who are dying. Christ came that night Christ always comes when a sincere heart reaches out to you. And Christ always touches with a peace that's that's not understandable. It's a peace that comes from being justified by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, you will have peace with the Lord, God. And when you have that peace, His presence brings joy. Not happiness from your circumstances, but joy, peace in your heart. His presence always brings peace and joy. And that's what he did to those men that night. All right. My third point, I admit, is kind of a rabbit trail. But it's there, people. It's there. And, and we're always here. It was on the little card I held up together. To together to grow, to go. I think I got those out of order, didn't I? Gather with believers? Why? Why? Well, well, look at what happened this night. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, that means a twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, will not believe all we really get is Thomas is not with him and we get that Thomas is not only not with him but when they tell him what happened he's like nope nope I ain't no way we all know where he was we know they were all scared terrified confused lost we know, we've already talked about how this is probably the worst three days anybody could ever go through in their lives. But I think the ten that gathered probably knew nothing else to do other than gather together. Pray. Seek guidance. That's what we're called to do as believers. You know, this, ain't, this ain't for lost people. Lost people don't understand it. It's fo- this book is foolishness to those who have not accepted yet. But Thomas wasn't there that night, and we don't know why. I mean, we don't. And I'm not going to tell you some magical thing that I was told. I'm just going to just throw out some suggestions. Might have been sick. Might have been sick. It's possible that he was so terrified that he was running away from the city. I don't know. Maybe he'd had it with Peter. Maybe he'd had it with one of the other disciples. They didn't shake his hand. They didn't speak to him. Maybe he had a close relative who had a travel ball game. Maybe it was raining. Didn't really want to get out. There was a really, really big game down at the Coliseum. Or maybe he just thought, hey, I'll just sit by myself, study the scripture. We don't know. We weren't told. We don't know. But, but we do know this from Scripture. Thomas missed meeting Jesus because he wasn't there. Now they told him about it, but he missed meeting Jesus. I'm going to get off of this rabbit trail, but in your mind, no nobody pointing any fingers, nobody saying anything, because I'm as guilty as any of you. I want to ask you something. What do you miss when we forsake the assembling together? We are supposed to gather together. And when you don't, you miss the chance of being with Jesus. You miss the chance of being with Jesus. All right, let's move off of Joy's little rabbit trail. And look at verse 26. And that's not a good title, people. It ought to be the God of unlimited chances. I called it the God of second chances. But let's see what happens. A week later, now listen. We don't know what happened. But can you imagine dealing with Thomas for the whole week? I don't believe it. Right, y'all, are, I ain't seen him. I I mean, I'm sure that ain't the only time Thomas said that was the first time they met him on the street after that night. It's been a whole week of I don't believe it, I don't believe it. Boy, you talk about Thomas might have been mad at Peter. What do you think they were feeling about Thomas? But a week later, his disciples are in the house again, and Thomas is with them. And though the doors are locked, things are still not good, people. You understand that? This ain't this ain't uh, prosperity gospel. This ain't this ain't you follow Jesus and streets are paved with gold and everybody loves you. They're still in locked doors, people. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and look what He said: "Peace be with you." Now. Just like the first time, supernatural and natural don't 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 go together very well. Probably on your face, unknowing of what to do, but then look what Jesus does. Then he said to Thomas, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I ain't gonna believe it. I don't believe the Lord Jesus Christ looks at Thomas and he said, Hey, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. We don't know what went on that week. We can guess. But we can see from Scripture that a week later, he appeared to them again, and it appears that this time is exclusively for the heart of Thomas. McGee pointed out, he said, you know, God will meet with an honest man of doubt. You know what that means? He'll meet with an honest man of doubts, but he won't meet with a dishonest person with doubts. You know what that means? That, that, that means he understands that we're human and we have our doubts. But if we reach out to him and we beg for him. That's different than a lot of intellectuals who go around saying, well, there's no God. You know, you know why they say there's no God? You know why they refuse to believe there's a God? Well, if you really look down deep inside of it, it's probably because they've got some sin in their life that they're not willing to lay down at the cross. Many people can claim intellectually they don't believe. But many people just don't want to deal with the sin in their life that reading this book and hearing from Jesus will do to you because they're not willing to deal with their moral failings yet. What was Thomas's response? Go to the last one. It's a question for you. I don't, I know most of y'all's names. Most of them, But, But I don't know that maybe you're Thomas. Do you believe? In verse 28 it says, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And in verse 29 it says, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. And John goes on to write that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Wouldn't fit, people. But these are written, and boy, we went over this verse a long time ago. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's look for a few minutes at a few of these verses. Thomas's response after he got off the floor, it wasn't, notice, notice he didn't say Jesus. He didn't say teacher. You know, some of them had called him teacher all along. He didn't call him, he didn't say master. They called him master a bunch of times. He didn't even say Messiah. He called him Lord. The Greek word is the same word for Lord. That comes from the Hebrew in the Old Testament for Yahweh. Thomas confessed, Yahweh is standing in front of me. He knew and understood that God in flesh was in his presence. When we started this study in John 1.1, it said, The Word was God at the beginning. And now we're in John twenty. And Thomas is making the confession that Yahweh, my Lord, my God, I see you. You know, it would have been a great place to stop the book. I was reading in the New America, they said, you know, there's some more stuff here, but but this is really the climatic confession. This, this is it. John through inspiration from the Lord, was writing to a community that that wouldn't get to see the risen Lord, and he's given this account of what 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 a what a brash fisherman who spent three years with this guy did when he saw the presence of the Lord, when he saw his risen body. R.C. Sproul was writing about. It. He said, "You know." I firmly believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States, even though I never saw him. He said, I believe it because I believe the historical record is accurate. But Sproul said, the highest source of truth that has ever existed is in your hands. John explains and provides a record, and he tells you why. We've talked about it before. He says, so that others may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. It is Yahweh. The most important question that anyone on earth at any time will ever ask is, do I believe? And what you must ask yourself is, what is it going to take for you to believe? People who don't have Christ don't have life. So the question I put before you today is, do you have life? Do you have life? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Do you? Do you? Do you? I I, I don't want to, I mean, I want to go do you, do you, do you. Do you. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. This is it, people. This is your life, your eternal life. Do you? Have you ever been at a point, oh, I thought I was... Steve just flashed in my mind as I was thinking about this point. Have you ever been at a point where you're on the floor and you say, my Lord, my God? Have you? You haven't. We don't know that there'll be a tomorrow. And without life, there is only death. So I ask you, do you believe? And if you do, I ask you, are you carrying out the commission? got this. You have the Holy Spirit. You've been told what to do in a lost world. It's not bring the lost in here and let Dale save them. It's explain this to the lost. It's let the Holy Spirit speak to them. Let the Holy Spirit point out their sins. Let them understand that Jesus is the Christ. And then they come here with us to learn more, to grow together, to be ready for that mission. Do you believe? Have you confessed? Do you believe and have you confessed? Pray with me. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com. Or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.